So here's one of the advantages that we get to be close to the work of God. For the most part, they had to be right where God was, right where Jesus was to see those mighty works taking place. Jesus was fixed to a single location at that time. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, God fills the hearts of every believer, no matter where they're at on the face of this earth. So God is always everywhere, but God's Spirit working in those who believe in Him. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 16. We're actually closing out a portion of scripture that has been called by the uh, scholars, the theologians, the final discourse. And so from chapters 14 to 16, we have Jesus teaching his disciples several things. Today we'll find out about the work of the Holy Spirit once again, and really goes into a little bit of detail of that in verses 5 through 15, but also about persecution and joy and the things that Jesus just wanted his disciples to know. And I believe he wants us to know in the day and age that we live in as well. This week, we're looking at what I titled Sin, Righteousness, and Judgment from John chapter 16. We're going to see in verses 1 through 4, coming persecution. In verses 5 through 15, the coming Holy Spirit. Verses 16 through 24, a coming joy. And verses 25 through 33, a coming faith. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to receive from your word today. I know, Lord, in life we can get a bit distracted with all the things that goes on in our life during a week or during a month or a year. And I pray, Lord, for this next uh, little while, would you just help us to set aside the distractions of this life that we might hear from your spirit that you would teach us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we find this coming persecution, but it was because of their faithfulness to Jesus that Jesus told them that they would be put out of the synagogues and even be killed by those who believed that they were actually offering service to God. Does that sound familiar in the day and age that we live in? Christians being killed by those who believe they're serving God? We hear about it happening all the time. I have a couple of examples One I read to you last week and a new one from this week, 
of some of the persecution that's taking place in our world today. But the Sanhedrin court had the apostles in prison, we learn in the word of God. King Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12 would have James, the brother of John, beheaded. And the apostle Peter would be arrested. A Pharisee named Saul, we introduced to him in Acts 8.3. It tells us that Saul made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. Of course, we know that that has a, a better ending as Saul becomes the Apostle Paul. And although the persecution came against the church, we find that each persecution actually caused the church to grow stronger. And Jesus gave an advance notice here of a coming persecution to give them courage in the days of their affliction, that this persecution is coming. Last week I read to you, this took place on September 5th, of uh, just this month. And the title is Teen Adopts Christianity After Muslim Extremist Murder Father. A 17-year-old named Marcos has embraced Christianity after hearing about the strength of his father's faith in the face of death. Marcos' father, Bagat, was murdered in Egyptian streets by Muslim extremists for refusing to denounce his faith and convert to Islam. Islam in the news again this week on Wednesday, September 19th, Christian bus passengers refused to recite Islamic statement of faith. Two Christians in Kenya were executed after refusing to recite the Islamic statement of faith. According to CBN News, the International Christian Concern says that last Friday, a group of Islamic terrorists stopped a bus that was traveling to Garizia, the militants ordered everyone off the bus and demanded identification. The ICC says the terrorist group of seven men separated the Muslims from the Christians. They demanded three of the passengers to recite the statement of faith, and two Christians who refused were tied up and executed. This persecution is going on to this very day, and it's one of the reasons we should be in constant prayer for our brothers and sisters uh, throughout this world. But even as last week, I gave examples of some of the things that's coming against our faith here in the United States of a cross in Florida being ordered to be removed that had been, uh, the original cross had been placed there at a military uh, memorial site in 1941 and now ordered to be removed. And so we find that they're coming against us in the United States as well, in the persecution of the church. And here's the reason, Jesus gives the reason, because they do not know the Father nor me. They have no relationship with God. They think they're offering service to God. Uh, the great example of the Islamic terrorists who have done these horrific acts, they think they're offering service to God, but Jesus said, they have no relationship with my Father nor with me. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, For he whom comes to God must first believe that he is. And you have to have faith in God in order to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. As Scripture reminds us in Romans 5.17, Having received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness through the one Jesus Christ. And new waves of persecution, well, they continue to come against those who love Jesus even to this day. So we read 
words that Jesus spoke to his disciples nearly 2,000 years ago, but it has not changed to this day. But he blesses us with the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, verses 5 through 15. We actually learn here of the work of the Holy Spirit in both the lives of believers and unbelievers. I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Once again, Jesus teaches his disciples about his departure. It was very close. The hours are counting down at this point. But he said it was necessary for him to depart in order that the Holy Spirit could come. We find in Scripture, as we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, we find that God the Father is primarily active in the Old Testament, although we have some uh, knowledge of Jesus, uh, pre-incarnation of Jesus before he came to Bethlehem in the Old Testament. We also see the Spirit of God working in the Old Testament, but primarily it was God the Father in action. In the Gospels, we find Jesus is the primary source there. Jesus, God's only Son. But from Acts forward, we learn about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers in the church. And that continues to this day. But Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I should go. Our advantage, it's that Jesus, through his death on the cross, he has provided a way for the forgiveness of our sins, but also has given us access to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It tells us in John 7, 39, but he spoke this concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so we find even way back in John chapter 7, we find that it was necessary first for Jesus to be glorified The path of that glorification was the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, but also his ascension to the right hand of the Father. Once he ascended back into heaven, then the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church for the disciples, for them to be close to Jesus in those three plus years, they had to be where Jesus was. So here's one of the advantages that we get to be close to the work of God, for the most part, they had to be right where God was, right where Jesus was, to see those mighty works taking place. Jesus was fixed to a single location at that time. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, God fills the hearts of every believer, no matter where they're at on the face of this earth. So God is always everywhere, but God's Spirit working in those who believe in him as Jesus taught us in John 14, 16, and 17. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Remember that word for helper in the Greek is parakletos. It means to come alongside. It's uh, better described maybe as a, a legal assistant. He comes alongside to give you aid. I will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither 
sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus says, he shall come upon you. So Jesus saying it's necessary that I should go away. And through his departure, the spirit was able to come upon those who believe in Jesus. In verses 8 through 11, we find that when the Holy Spirit came, or when he comes, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is being judged. He convicts the world of sin. And being convicted of sin can be a, a good thing when it brings about one's repentance. But notice that Jesus is talking to two different groups of people here. In verses 5 through 7, he's talking to his church. In verses 8 through 11, primarily he's talking to those who do not believe, the unbelievers. And so 5 through 7, believers. 8 through 11, primarily unbelievers. It's not that as a believer, the Holy Spirit can't convict us of sin. We know that he does. But here Jesus specifically said, because they do not believe. He convicts them of sin because they do not believe. And although the Spirit convicts the world of sin, their sin is that of unbelief. Therefore, their sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and sadly, they stand condemned before God. This is what the Lord taught us in John 3, 18 and 19. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Well, I, I don't know if you've noticed, since I've been your pastor 19 years, I've aged a little bit. When I first came here, my hair was down to here. And I could still do that, but I've cut it a lot shorter these days. But my mustache and goatee at the time, it was actually this brownish red hair that I have always had. Now it seems to be fading as well. The mustache, no brown left whatsoever. It's white. And I actually shaved my goatee because it got so white that I noticed in pictures that I don't have any chin anymore. So I shaved it off that you could actually see my chin again. But I've also seen that hearts have changed over that same period of time. I was thinking about this specifically, the Lord saying in John 3, 19, men love darkness rather than the light. And I've seen over the years that things used to be kind of hidden in the darkness. And we might call it being in the closet. They didn't bring it out. But now that's becoming very public. Used to be that bars, when you drive by them, the windows of the bars would be dark and you couldn't see inside to see what was going on. And they kept them dark. I've, I've went into bars before not to drink, but I've had to go fetch people out of the bars before. And even inside, they're dark quite often. And I think men love the darkness. Sometimes people are in there that they're in there. They don't really want to be seen, but they want to be there. But that's changing as well. Let's get it out into the light. 
and this world has changed. They love the darkness so much so that they believe now that the darkness is actually light. And they don't realize that in reality their deeds are evil. So he convicts the world of sin. He also convicts the world of righteousness. Now Jesus stands before us as God's righteous standard. In other words, let's put it this way. If you want to get to heaven, you either have to be like Jesus, perfect. Anybody qualify here? Or you need to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Jesus is the example of what it takes to get to heaven, to live a sinless and perfect life. But we can't do that. So we need to be covered by the blood of Jesus. He convicts the world of righteousness. He sets Jesus up as that righteous standard, which we are not. And so we need the covering of Jesus. Philippians 3, 9 through 11 says, Be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not by having my own righteousness, but his righteousness. We have to put on Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing in our world today, not only does the world mistakenly think that darkness is actually light, they actually believe that their unrighteous way is righteousness. But also he convicts the world of judgment. Now, this judgment is connected to Satan here. As we see Jesus saying, the ruler of this world is being judged. And he refers to the ruler of the world in John's gospel in John 12, 31, John 14, 30, John 16, 11 here. Three times he refers to Satan as the ruler of the world. And this takes us all the way back to the very first gospel, right after the fall of mankind, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The first gospel is Genesis 3.15 that speaks about God putting enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, they not only sinned against God, they forfeited the right of having dominion over this world. And Satan then, in a sense, we might say, holds the title deed to this world. Jesus came to not only save us of our sins, but to redeem the world back to his father. He not only paid the price of our sins, but he redeemed this world as the rightful heir. Colossians 2.15 tells us, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So to the unbelievers, for the most part, he convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in me, although he can convict us of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Now he gets back to the believers, verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So Jesus comes back to his followers, back to the disciples. And he's moving from point to point. He says, I have many things to say to you right now, but you're not able to bear them. And so the coming of the Holy Spirit to teach us, to give us, kind of fill in the information for us. Like some of those subjects that he came back to from time and time again, persecution, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had a lot that he wanted to teach his followers, but he knew that they were unable to bear these things at this time. The disciples needed to grow in their faith. What, what's behind me, our church motto back there, believe, receive, grow, and go. There is a, a time necessary of growing, and it's not just that our growing stops. I have always viewed myself as a student of Scripture, and I think I'll view myself as a student of Scripture until the day I die. I'm always studying the Word of God that I might learn from it that which the Lord would have me to know. Even at this time, we find right before the teaching of this final discourse in John 14 through 16, the Bible tells us in Luke 9, 46, and then again in Luke 22, 24. So here we have the disciples, Luke 9, 46, early on in the ministry, Luke 22, 24, at that very last supper. What does Luke tell us that they were doing? They were disputing among themselves about who is the greatest. Peter saying to John, I'm greater than you. And John saying to Peter, no, you're not. And you can hear it in your head right now, right? Yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. This is what was on their mind. They were disputing about who is the greatest. Remember, it was James and John. Then another portion of scripture, we learned that they sent mom to ask Jesus, when you enter your glory, is it all right if my son sit one on the right hand, one on the left hand side? They were worried about position at this time. You know, for three plus years, they've been with Jesus, but the blood of Jesus Christ had not covered them as of yet. Jesus had not yet gone to the cross to pay the price of their sin, to pay the price of our sin. They were at this point, they were babes in Christ. They had a lot of learning to do, as do we. First Corinthians 3 verses 1 through 4 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are not, still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, division among you, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And the disciples at this point, there was still envy, there was strife, there was division among them. They had some learning to do, they had some growing to do. Jesus came, John 16, he talked about a coming persecution. Well, that persecution is still here. But he also told about the coming Holy Spirit. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit is still here and among us today. Within the church, there should be this, not a coming joy, but the joy is here. That the Lord gives us this joy that the world cannot explain. And also, he describes it as full joy. And as we go in to meet others with need, 
Well, the Holy Spirit will be with us. He'll be convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Remember, I said several weeks ago that for the average adult to come to faith in Jesus Christ, they need to hear the gospel presented to them at least seven times before they receive Jesus. So that means I have a one in seven chance, right? Six times I'll probably fail in presenting the gospel to someone if I would go to that same individual seven times in a row. But it's not only us, it's other believers and the Holy Spirit bringing witness to them as well that they might believe that our joy, that their joy might be full as they come to faith in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless us now as we wait upon you with this one last song. Pray, Lord, for those who you are ministering to this very hour. Pray that your spirit would be upon us. Help us to hear, Lord, again, what the Spirit is teaching us. And Lord, if you are just pricking a heart that needs to respond to you today, it might be for salvation, it might be for rededication, uh, it might be, Lord, for a need of prayer. I pray, Lord, that you would be with us as we wait upon you now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.